Many young people have grown up knowing that it's their cup that needs to be filled up by the teachers, the mentors, the parents, the bosses, the CEOs who have the jug to fill it up. At Bodrum Banta, we believe that it's through coming together that we create a bigger pool of knowledge and wisdom with the mission of making the boardroom as big as can be, amplifying the stories behind the people and filling each other up. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the boardroom. I'm going to be your host today, Sean Karanja, resident entrepreneur, lover of life, and as usual, excited to be sharing with you guys our guest for the week. We've got someone super interesting. I think we have a habit of doing a, a, a bit of a world tour. And this week, we're going to be in West Africa with none other than Edison Benga Ade. Edison is someone who has inspired all of us at the boardroom. He's been working on some pretty interesting stuff, ranging from agribusiness back in his early days to marketing and tech consulting and now he's in the venture capital business, right? So he's gone from bootstrapped entrepreneur to now supporting other businesses to grow, be that through funding, uh, consulting, training, you name it. Edison, welcome, welcome, welcome to the boardroom. How are you feeling today? Feeling good. It's interesting to hear. You know how you hear your life story. It's someone, someone else is sharing it. It just sounds more interesting than it is. But yeah, thank you. I I, I can imagine, right? Uh, what's what's one of the things that you think I missed out there, right? So if 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 right now you're to say, hey, actually, you missed you missed this about. No, that's the funny thing is, why is it that this person actually came to like, like you package me so nice? I think I should just copy paste what you've said. And yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> the flattery. So, Edison, tell us, tell us about your day job, right? So, before we even get into how you got here, just tell us where here is, right? So that now we can, we 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 can zoom out once we once once we know where here is. So, how do you describe to? you know, your niece or nephew or some some kid you bump into, you know, primary school kid. What does Edison do for a living? Interesting question. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think I'm more of a writer in, in my day job than I, than anything else really. I've, I've gotten excited about writing and sharing my experiences. So I would actually say that a lot of things I have, I've learned and things I'm learning being able to put them in words and and motion really being able to put them in words and podcast form video and just that's what i would say you know it's like sharing my learning um to everyone but i, I think i'm more of a business writer today than a lot of things so it's just bringing all those things together so now i kind of understand why a lot of people start writing like when you hear the Garrett and the Lucy's and everybody's writing you're like ah, why is everybody writing but when you have so yeah. much to share you get to a point where you just cannot stop writing you just want the world to know you know and yeah so that's how i i would explain to someone that i write to make the world a better place and it could come in different forms that google business might be an experiment make the writing better you know consulting and working for other people or you know 
funding can be experiments to make my writing better. But I just hope that in the next decade or more, or in the next hundred years, someone will see that book and their life will change because of some of the things I've shared in it. So yeah, that, that's how I would describe it. No, perfect. Because what you just explained is something that we did miss out in your intro, that you are a published author and also a poet, right? So, <laughs> so that's something that you probably do in on, on, on the side. You've got, you know, your poetry gigs. You know, when I think of poets who like, okay, you've got your, your main job somewhere, you know, you're in your suit, but when I think of someone who does poetry, you know, I think that, you know, you, you sneak off to this like shadowy, uh, you know, <laughs> restaurant that few people go to, right. but, you know, it's it's classy and, you know, the lights go yeah. down and Edison comes out for and, snapping. you know, <laughs> for snapping. Is, is, is that how it is or, or, or what? How Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it is like sometimes it's that you know you stand in front of people and you know you do what you do and people clap and you go but then every time i do it i'm reminded of why i do it because it's always fun to do it so i think my recent one was on africa being our forefathers mm-hmm. legacy it's nice to write and just share i just feel like writing just puts things together in such a way that it's beautiful yeah yeah right so tell us about your entrepreneurial journey right so you you went off, you are a uni student like ourselves. And, you know, where, where did your, you were born in Nigeria. So let's start there. And your father was a cocoa exporter and you studied information technology as a major from um, UC Berkeley, if I'm not wrong, in, right. in, in California. And how did how did it go from, you know, this sounds like something I I bet I'd find in your book, you know, like a son of a cocoa exporter. Now I'm a, you know, walk us through it in in a story form, right? How 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 did you get from there to actually believing that you could be a business person? You did start off in agriculture, so something that you know you are familiar with. And so how did, how, did, how did that transition go about? I think I've always knew, I always knew I was going to do business. Like, um, I think when I was younger, I always used to, I had even a national anthem for a school I was going to build, you know, so I done like, you know, I was very young, but I usually build it and I wanted to have airports. So it was like, it was, it was actually like fun. And it was my hobby to actually just draw and dream. So when people come to my room, I was very young. And people were just like, what is he doing? I'm drawing and sketching. I'm writing out plays. I'm, you know, trying to put things together. So I really feel like by design, I don't know when it started to happen, but I, I, I used to read uh, Forbes. I used to read, so my dad used to bring a lot of The Economist. And I was really young. And I used to see a lot of young people doing really well in Singapore. And I was like, why don't we have that in Africa? Why don't we have... And when we used to go for competitions, only South Africa was represented in the international stage for competitions, like the science competitions. And I was wondering, why don't, we, why don't we have West Africa? So I think my appetite for questions made me realize that mm. there's something more to it. I must, what can I, when I start thinking of how do, how do I fix it, that's when I started to realize that, nah, it was more than that, right? So my first attempt on it was a festival. It was where I put a proposal for a Negro World Festival that was gonna be in 12 countries. You know, um, you know, I didn't do it, but you know, I got 
some funding so I'd be able to pay for some of my schooling and stuff from that right. where I didn't get to do it. It was just, you know, so there's always been that desire, right? And then I, I fit in business really big in 20, uh, I did a very big conference in, 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 in Kumasi in Ghana, both speakers from the US, speakers from all over the world, but it was a big failure, right? And yeah. it was a failure because it was a successful event. We had 400 people showing up, speakers and everything, but financially, I made a mistake, right? And I lost a lot of money and it took two years of going off business. And I was asking myself, am I really a business person? Am I really an entrepreneur? Is this something I really want to do? Because I I, I, I keep feeling at it, right? Yeah. You know, so I, I took two years to just reflect, trying to understand what's going on. So by accident, went into a competition. It was called the Startup Weekend, Coffman Foundation. And, and I wasn't even gonna pitch in the competition. It was just a, but then some- And, and where, where was that? Started. Where was that competition that was based? That was in a car. It was in a car. Uh, and it was, uh, it was by accident. I just come back from a Yalda conference. So Yalda is the Utah Alliance for Leadership and Development in Africa. It was formed at Harvard University. And I I became the West African lead eventually, but it was just, you know, so it was nice to meet people from different backgrounds. And when I came back from that, and came, because I needed a fresh, like I just needed to come right. So I went to that conference and did no work. But even at the conference, people noticed you. People were asking me to leave things. So that's how you know that um, it was more than just doing things. I realized that now I need to, I feel like I, I love changing the world's work and I do. But going back to the, comp, to, the, to the competition, I became third place winner in the competition, which means you have to start a business, right? Which means mm-hmm. that, you know, a small cap prize, but it was all over the news. It was, we were pitching with Ghana Club 100, we were shortlisted. It was just like a lot of back to back, right? So I didn't really, even start out saying, hey, I wanted, it, just, it was just a problem I saw in agribusiness and I wanted to just pitch the event. But I started to realize that I was, people were excited when I talk about it. People were, I don't know why, but people like, I, they love coming around me. They love listening to what I have to say. So I was like, you know what? How I don't we use this for good? So I set up five university chapters in five of the major universities in Ghana to encourage young people to go into agribusiness. So that became a big deal, right? You know, the BBC came to cover my the farm management software. So it was, it was just different layers, right? So I was looking at the yeah. agribusiness space and saying, how can we fix it? Started out with getting young people excited about it, creating tools for farmers, and then creating a market. So we organized the first um, organic farmers market in Ghana. The Ghana mm-hmm. event in the UK came to cover it. Um, so yeah, that was my agribusiness journey. But I started to ask more questions. Like, it can't just be, you're trying to solve the agribusiness problem. I see it more, I said, I think that's where I started to learn what failure and success look like in business, how to draw a strategy for business. And I realized it, can, it cuts across all the businesses in Africa and not just right. agribusiness. That, that was how, there's a lot of things, right? From teaching people how to, you know, to having now running like my own web and mobile applications company. But at the core of it is to support businesses, to make them profitable. Because I think the Africans need brands that are profitable. We need to have long lasting African brands. We can't always have the West bring things to Africa. And that's right. the passion of why I'm doing this. Yeah. Perfect. And and that's that's the work that you're doing at Blue Global, right? Yeah. Yes. Tell us t- tell us a bit about that because um you're also a director at the Founder Institute, which 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 I do know of. And you know, it's one of those things you see on Twitter a lot of okay, so and so raised X amount of, you know funding across the continent and i mean we we see mad numbers are being raised by lots of african countries but 
you know, if, if, if I'm to pull up one of the statistics, right, in terms of, you know, the share of these deals, so how many, like, how many, how many of, of, of these deals are getting how much money? 4% of all of the, the, the seed to, you know, growth stage funding that startups on the continent get, 4% of all those deals capture about 65% of all of the volume of investor capital that is coming into the continent. So we've got a small number of companies who are accounting for a large proportion of, of, of the money that's coming in. Um, do you find that there's, there's some sort of trickle-down effect there where smaller businesses are able to get funding or you know, is, is it just those who were fortunate enough to go to, you know, certain competitions or get exposure to um, spaces like Silicon Valley? Is, is, there, is there a bit of a, a hierarchy or exposure thing going on? Could you, could you break down for us um, some, some of your work when, when it comes to um, supporting entrepreneurs and, and what's that scene looking like on a continental scale? Right. I think it's a couple of factors. Um, one is that the VC space in Africa is really, really small. Its business is growing. Um, I mean, five years ago or 10 years ago, if you talk VC in Africa, you will hardly find any company playing actively in the space, right? Like local companies playing. Um, it's been traditional banking and maybe like local people just loaning money to each other. And traditional banking came with a lot of collateral and stuff like that. That uh, and it was so hard to raise money locally, um, and I even started out with not looking for money here because it was just hard. It's like it was easier to fund outside than it was to fund uh, locally, which was interesting yeah. because the, the the infrastructure wasn't there, uh, the banking system, the policies were not there supporting startups. Right. Um, you know so that was one of the challenges. Um, another challenge is that startups they put their family and their friends as board of directors, so it's very difficult when it's <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, so when you find a lot of people are making money and a lot more people, yes, it's access, but it's also because they kind of understand the game of due diligence, right? And so mm. they, some of them are either schooled outside or they have exposure. So they understand that you can't do that, right? You can't just have board of directors and just family and friends, but they're not active in the business. If you have family and friends and they're active, that's not a problem, right? You can have family business, run businesses, but you can't just be put their name there because when it's time to do due diligence, yeah. Um, you can have a team member that's not working for the company, but just because you want to get funding, which happens a lot here, where it's, 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 we take it for granted. And so there are businesses that qualify for funding, but they don't have the systems to make them get the funding, right? Which is what, what part of what I love to do is to help businesses. And that's what I, ex I was excited about the Founder Institute is to make sure that pre-seed accelerator help you get all those things together, like formations, like so that you don't just make that mistake. And at least yeah. you prepare yourself when the time for funding comes, you know, you're not found wanting. So I, I would say in one level is that, right? And the second level is the idea that um, some people don't share the access they have with other people, right? So there's one level mm. of the, the startups are not ready. So it's just hard to give money to small businesses. Well, just to amplify the hard to give money to small businesses, it's like doing consulting, mm. right? I had to create a smaller brand to support smaller businesses because it's so hard to work with small businesses that it takes, you know, the same effort you used to work with a big company is the same effort, right? And you make way more money. So from a business standpoint, if you don't think impact, you'd rather work with a bigger company, right? If you're not thinking impact, because 
it's right. less stressful, right? And sometimes people that pay you the less money are the ones that stress you the most. Um, and, and, and that's the experience. So that's why funders would rather go for companies that they can give five million to straight than give hundred thousand dollars to fifty people. And it just stresses right. them in terms of managing and tracking and you know and all of that. So if you talk to private equity or venture capitalists, they would better they would rather give one million dollars to a company that's can run it than give hundred thousand dollars to a few people, which is what we're trying to change is to make sure how can we work with people that can they don't they need smaller checks to make some impact uh, mm. as opposed to this bigger check. Um, but the final point like I, I was making was the access. Access and sometimes when you don't have access, people don't want to give you access, right? It's different in, in, in Nigeria because I, I see some Nigerian giving access. It's like I'm there, so I'm trying to help you grow. Um, but in a lot of other West African countries, True. I don't see that. Um, so that's that's what I would say as my initial thoughts based on question. Right. So what I what I get from that is there's basically these these three levels of of penetration that need to take place and. Actually, two, because we could combine um, that lack of understanding of due diligence, that due diligence process with um, just an information gap in terms of who, who is providing capital, what do I need in order to access it, um, and how do I reach out to, to, to these people. And I, I think what, what you're doing with Blue Global is active you know master classes active trainings like pitching sessions um, how to set up your business right so I, I think i think there's 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 a combination of education and funding that needs to take place simultaneously right. um and right. and i think a lot of people overlook that and just say that you know africa we just need money right but there's money exposure, you know, and 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 access that I think all needs to come together. But what yeah. what happens when, or or rather, could you could you walk us could you walk us through that process of, okay, um, boardroom banter is a company that's at let's say the idea stage, right? Um, could could you first break down for us what what, what funding would look like? at the idea stage versus, um, you know, you've got some sort of small traction versus, you know, you're now in your growth stage of, 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 of your business. What, what, do, what, what does that, what does, what does your funding approach when, when you're doing your work at the Founders Institute? How, how do you approach those three businesses and how, how does the type of capital and support you give to them differ? In an African context, uh, I mean, I, I would speak as an entrepreneur and as someone right. who is also dealing in beauty firm. Um, so I, I think idea stage sometimes, well, at the idea stage, people are even confused what that is, right? So they say I have an idea. Yeah. So is it yeah. ideation or you have an idea? Because they are two different things, right? Mm. Ideation is that you have an idea that you've proven that is a viable business. That is an ideation stage, you know. So. Because ideas are everywhere. Ideas cannot be invested in. Like if it, if I just had an idea, like an example, I have an idea to do an Uber for, you know, health, right? That's hilarious. Everyone does Uber for something or Netflix. Yeah. Or <laughs> so that's not even an idea to say that I have an idea to do Uber for health. That's is yeah. That's something you want to do. So, what is the ideation? How have you like you know like so that's the idea, right? 
So sometimes that's why it's a struggle for people to raise funding at that stage because they feel like that is the idea. So an ideation process needs to go through a lot of things. One of them is going to the market, you know, empathy, but you have to, there's a whole lot of process, design thinking, you have to go through all of that stages even in the idea stage, right? So in the idea stage, what you need to do is to make sure you have an idea that is viable. You know, when you do that, it's actually easier to convince an investor to fund it. Half of the people that don't get funding or even maybe more, they have ideas, but it's not ideation. I don't know if I'm confusing. It's not like, it's not a full-fledged idea. It's an idea that came, but it has not been fully thought out. So it's like, oh, I have an idea. Then, oh, I'm looking for funding. No, no, you know, you don't need funding at that stage. So would would the idea stage involve you having a business plan? So it's more like business plan stage rather than just... Not necessarily. I'm actually even against... So I'm I'm against doing business plan when you don't understand the business. I feel like a lot of business Uh plan will tell you financial projection, profitable financial projection. I've never seen a business plan with a negative financial projection like the next three years won't make But in reality, a lot of businesses don't make money in the first three years. But no business plan would say that, right? So I'm actually for do a business case, do a one-page notes, do a pitch deck, and then figure out the business plan, you know, Mm-hmm. as you've tested so you do a business plan after you've tested your model right? so and testing can be in different forms right. otherwise what you find is that uh, a lot of people have business plans that they never use because it's just for getting funding right and in today's world you don't use a business plan to fundraise um mm. so you people don't actually ask you for a business plan to raise funding um so the ideation stage yeah. that i work you through the process is like let's say i want to start a food business right now this is the ideation stage if i want to start an online food business i would take $10 to test the idea. What I would do is I would boost on Facebook, I would do a flyer and I would ask people to order for the food, you know, immediately, like, yeah. and then I would document it. Then I have an idea. Based on the, 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 the findings, then you yeah. have, that's an idea stage. You know, that's what makes an idea. You don't, it's not in operations, so to speak, but you're testing it with small testing. You're, what's the cheapest way I can test it to kind of get feedback and understand? Um, MVP, minimum viable product. That's actually even before the MVP, right? So that's like... That's even before, right? Yeah, so that's like you smoke test the idea to now build the MVP, right? And then the MVP, like the MVP stage is more, as more from idea stage. So idea stage is just smoke testing the idea. Like like I said, $10 to just test and see that it works, right? Is there demand? yeah, people, because yeah. Pre- experimentation is something people shy away from because they think mm-hmm. they're in idea stage. But that's the time where you actually need to uh, experiment is when you're in idea stage. So if you can do that in idea stage, the guarantee of succeeding in raising funding is higher than a lot of people. So for investors, they look out for, even if it's in idea stage, what's, is there any validation? You know, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. The, the competition in 2012 that I won as one of the winners, we had three days to prove concepts. It's still idea stage, but for you to win, in, yeah, I'm saying in order to win, we had to do like uh, three days of val- validation. It was Friday to Sunday, right? But it's still idea stage, right? We had to find out who's going to use the product. Why would they use the product? You know, we had, to, we had to do a graph to prove that people would use the product, which means we had to test, uh, find a way to test the idea. So that's what I would say in idea stage. Now, if you're not in idea stage and you're in traction, yeah. you need to document your traction. Um, if you want to raise funding, you need to document your, you can't, traction is not, we have five companies that are ready to invest. 
or there are five companies that want to do business with us. They don't have names. You know, it's no space. Like it doesn't make you know if you don't have contracts signed. So I've had people want to raise money and they say, oh, we have people that are ready. They are ready to buy our products right now. If we go to market, no, you need to have signed contracts with those people that says that hey, we are ready to buy if you sell. Not even we are ready. We would buy yeah. if you sell. That's actual traction, right? Right. Like a me- like a memorandum of understanding. Thank you. M- is that an MOU? Um, some, some sort of a document. Like yeah, an MOU, like, for instance. Yeah. Something to prove that you have traction. Um, if you have users that are using your product, you also have to prove that they are using it, right? Mm. Um, having a million free users is traction, but depending on the industry, it might not work out if it's just free users, right? So it really depends on the oh, industry. Yeah. Um, and so so in the, in the traction stage, what would work for you is your numbers, but also your team. So people look out a lot for teams in the traction mm-hmm. stage. This is the team I want to work with. Uh, in the growth stage, it's easier. And the growth stage is really easier. Like apart from traction, you are ready to scale. Honestly, yeah. that, at that place, you negotiate better because you have something to show. Um, and, and I would summarize to say that sometimes people are looking for growth stage investment in the idea stage, right? And they are going to mm. growth stage investors where you're supposed to be looking at ideas taking investors. I would also say that relationship matters more than anything else. Um, relationship, relationship with, with the investor. investor. Yeah. Because you don't find that in books, right? You know, it's almost like you must have the best pitch deck, but investors don't give money to the best pitch decks, right? You know, mm. it, it is who they connect with, who they can work with. Uh, and there was, I even have a business review that they report and they found that chemistry and character of an and of a founder matters more than actually it's being a company not have it, matters more than mm. pitch decks skill set um so that, that that's what i summarize like if you focus on the relationship and it's not a relationship where i'm trying to it's like you're trying to build a relationship with the person and that way you might not get you might not get funding today but in, in, in three years that person will remember you but I'm seeing yeah. it grow. They can actually see the companies. You don't even have to tell them your company is growing. They can see it, and it becomes easier yes. to find. And so, and so, would that would that go back to, you know, your 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 interest in poetry and writing? Do you think there's a correlation between entrepreneurs who are able to get great amounts of funding or scale their businesses and their ability to communicate? So what 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 do you what do you think is the link there? Because what I'm getting at here is you have to establish some sort of chemistry, right? Which means you need to be possessing a certain level of emotional intelligence and an ability to put yourself across to to someone else. Um, be, and and I ask that because I was I was listening to an interesting interview. Uh, and I believe it was it was Peter Thiel who was being interviewed. I believe, yeah, Peter Thiel, um, one of the early, you know, um, early team at at, at PayPal, and yeah. he was being asked, you know, why why is it that some of you know these big um, Silicon Valley names, you know, the the Zuckerbergs, the you know, even like. Dangote, you know, if we think locally, um, there's something about their character where they're they're a bit reserved, right? They're a bit, 
if I'm to use the word weird, you know, like the bit geeky of, you know, like, and, and so he, he raised an interesting point where he was like, you know, in the startup world, there's a, there's a part of it that would favor an extrovert or someone who's like, you know, really out there and connects with people and whatever, um, which is now the connecting with founders, you know, leading the teams, you know, motivating people towards a vision, communicating the vision. But then there's also that flip side of the coin where the those who are more reserved and, you know, a, a bit more tunnel vision into their craft, um, they have the advantage of, you know, the, the extroverts are able to pick up more easily on social cues. And so when they're putting their ideas out there, sometimes they're more easily susceptible to, you know, um, being discouraged because it's like, hey, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for social cues and validation from people around. And, you know, you're a bit more sensitive to, okay, will this idea work? Is it too crazy? You know, am I pleasing enough people versus, you know, there's some character types that are just like, you know what, this is a cool idea. I really don't care about anyone or what they think. And um, I'm going to put it out and it's, it's my way or the highway. Uh, wh- what do you think? What do you think? Where, where does, where does a, a founder's character play into their success rate? Is, is there a science behind that? Is, because I'm seeing there's two sides to this coin, right? Say that a pro or a con, you know, there's both ways it could work. Um, how, how have you seen character dynamics play out um, when it comes to going from zero to one for, for businesses and their teams? So there's pre, there's assumed character, you know, there's assuming uh-huh. that this is how this person is, because of how they show up to you. Mm-hmm. There's also, uh, so I'm not, I'm not a big believer in personalities as in like being extrovert and introverts, you know, so I'm very, I'm a very big introvert, right? Mm. But it's hard to tell sometimes because, you know, right. you learn to become what you want to become. It's a skill you can learn. It doesn't matter if you're extrovert or introvert, right? I know I, there were times where I couldn't stand in front of people to talk. I used to stammer a lot, right? Uh, if you realize I use my hand a lot, sometimes I use a lot of arms. That's how I've been able to learn to overcome stammering, right? So I could have said I'm a stammer yeah. and because I'm around like I can't do E F G. But, you know, I, I just believe that people can be whatever they want to be if you have a growth mindset. So for me, it's not even about fixed mindset to say I'm an, intro, I'm an extrovert. Therefore, this is all I can pitch in a competition. You know, half of the people that do really well pitching in competitions are actually introverts. But you don't yeah. know that. Like half of the big, some of the biggest public speakers you see today, that's where they, that's not them. It's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I mean, I can, I can say that yeah. myself, right? Like I can go in front and do a big spoken word, do rap and but that's, when I'm off it, people expect me to be very loving and laughing and shouting, but no, that, that, that's yeah. not me. Yeah. You know, it's something I've been able to learn. It's something I've been able to. So I would say that when an entrepreneur has a growth mindset, the chance of success is high, right? So a growth mindset is right. saying, I know that this is my weakness. I know that this is who I am. But mm-hmm. are there things I need to do to become a better person? Right? So it's, and it's, so it's not if I'm an right. extrovert and there are things I need to do with better character. I would mm-hmm. do that. I suppose mm-hmm. I found that the entrepreneurs that succeed are the ones that have evolved. They evolve being, um, I mean, think about the, I think examples like, so someone like 
the Angote, for instance, is is tribe. So there's a there's cultural context as well. It's tribe and where it's coming from. There's that demeanor that they have. So a lot of people mm-hmm. from that side, mm-hmm. that's how they react, right? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is tech, right? He's a very tech-centric person. A lot of tech people generally they they tend to be very reserved, right? And now a lot of t- a lot of them struggle with business acumen because they say that they are not good at business. And as a man can get so easy, right? The ones that have yeah. been able to leapfrog that and get off that are people like me, right? I used to write I write a lot of code, but I told myself that no, 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 no. I'm not going to be that tech person that doesn't have emotional intelligence that doesn't communicate how mm-hmm. learn it. So that's what I would say in summary that I don't mm-hmm. think it's a matter of, you know, an introvert gets it. Some, there's something that introvert is doing that is making them stand out. That is more than just being an introvert or an extrovert, right? There's something they discover that they can be a better person. They, they have a growth mindset. So they have an approach to life and to learning and to business. That, and I think I've seen a lot of, um, right. a lot of uh, things around mindsets. You realize that once you have a fixed mindset, it just limits everything. But once you have a growth mindset, it allows you as an entrepreneur uh, to succeed. So that's what I would say is the, the what decides. Because uh, we all have our weaknesses as entrepreneurs. And yeah, yes. that, that would be my so So what I'm getting at, so what you're getting at there is there's a mixed bag of, of strengths and weaknesses that, you know, these different character traits could offer you in in the business world. So you have to decide the same way that you did that, okay, I might be, you know, comparatively strong at this, but also there's a scale of speaking or whatever that I need to pick up and right. get good at. So, you have to. so you're saying that that is what sets the founders apart, not necessarily a black or white yeah. intrinsic. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you what do you think? What do you think about um, the first? Because you know you st- you you said um, you started off in 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 agri business, right? Business was a bit shaky at some point here and there. How do you go about pivoting? So when when we, when we think of sometimes you know when we when we hear stories of these different entrepreneurs right now, their businesses might be established but there's one or two things that they did before that that didn't really work out right is there an element of founder success that you think comes from the ability to pivot and if so how how do you know when to move on there's that conversation of grit in business versus actually knowing when a this thing i could i could hit this stone many times and it it's it I wouldn't chip away at it versus you know you know there's that analogy of like when water passes through the rock enough times it'll you know it'll it'll meander its way and 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 carve something out. So when when do you know when to quit and when do you know when to have grit? That rhymed. I should I should take on this poetry thing mm-hmm. here. <laughs> well, I think you know when you know. It doesn't sound like a good answer, right? But I think right. you know when you know. I mean, I think it, depending on where you are, I think it's very uh con- there's context in it. So, like for every founder, yes. there's so many factors. Some people they have to pay bills right now, so mm-hmm. quitting is now. You know, mm. 
you know, so it really depends on what you need to get done and how much of a baggage you have, or, you know, so it, some people have time and they have money behind them, right? Some people have maybe savings of a year, so they can go for a year. Some people don't have any savings and they have bills to pay, they have rent to pay, they have, and they're expecting them to make money for that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it really depends on the founder. But some of the things to consider, documenting journeys, right? So documenting journeys allows you to focus more on the process mm -hmm. than the results. Okay? And when you focus on the process, you are more excited because then you can you're learning it's, it's like evidence-based management right so where you you some of my consulting and some of the things someone spoke to me today and this is like starting like a big um counseling app and stuff and when i was mm -hmm. doing that coaching session today, i was smiling because after what i was sharing came out of experiences that i filled in and so a lot of consultants Consulting is literally, you feel that something's like, you're just sharing your, it's like literally you've seen what best practices, you've seen what failure is. Yes. And then you're learning from that. So if you document your process, even if it doesn't succeed, you have data that you can use and turn to something else. Final point on that is that there's something I did that didn't really succeed, right? And I got, mm -hmm. I got someone from Arizona State University, reach out that he wanted something. And it was something that I filled in. So it was easy to just plug that and get paid for it. Like it was just like, so yeah. documenting yeah. your process allows you to know that it doesn't matter if you like, like when to give up that's up to you but at least what i think you shouldn't regret or should not do is not document the process such that even if you don't give up and you're going at it at least have documents to show the, what the journey is so that it helps you but it also helps you become more valuable because you have something to show to the world that hey this is some of the things i learned and you at least enjoy the process so i wouldn't have a direct answer as a this is what to do, right? Well, you would know. I agree. Um, and one of the things that I, I think I, I really enjoy about the entrepreneurial process is even in my early days, you know, I say, I say that like I'm so old, but <laughs> early relative in, in the sense of when I first knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship, I'd have, I'd have, you know, like these, these notebooks, right. And I'm documenting, okay, what do I need to do this day? Um, you know, what's the idea? You know, map, mapping things out. So even sometimes when I feel uninspired, I, I, keep, I keep my notebooks. So I travel with them, like, because I, I just never know when I need to go back to 2017 and figure out, okay, I was thinking about this problem like this, you know. Maybe now there's a way that I could plug and play, so... That, that definitely resonated with me in that documenting the process also allows you to appreciate your growth in hindsight because sometimes we think that we're in this certain stage and this is the, this is it, you know, this is the farthest you've ever gotten and you're not so sure how far ahead you could get. But when you look back, you realize that even in those times you thought that this was as far as you've gotten and you're not too sure how far ahead you get. So I definitely encourage anyone who's listening to this, you know, whatever process it is that you're going um, along with, definitely, definitely, definitely document it. And it's not, it's nothing scientific. It could just be your to-do lists. It could just be your thoughts, um, mapping it out. But I, I, I do, I do think that helps. Um, I think one of one of the final questions I'd ask you about is 
um, you know, you've, you brought up that process of documentation, right? Uh, and, and that touches on design thinking, right? So when, you, when you've got an idea, how do you map that out from, I want to do the Uber of healthcare. How, how do you establish a way of thinking that allows you to flesh out an idea? So what's, what's your personal process of fleshing out ideas? Because in your consulting work, I know for sure that, you know, even in the meeting that you were just talking about, you know, someone came up to you and they've, they've got this, they've got this idea, they've got this concept and, you know, you're as a consultant, which, which I think is really cool is you're paid to help someone flesh it out and figure out how it could work better or flaws of this so how, how do you personally go about that design thinking process of of fleshing out an idea because some people have an idea but where they get stuck is it's just an idea you know it's, it's not a business so how do you go about fleshing it out and is that something that you use in your day-to-day -day life you know when you think of okay i need to go from point a to point b you know like what, what's what's usually your thought process or what goes on in Edison's mind? Um, I think it has become second nature. So, mm. I know how, like, you know how you do something, you do it over time. Eventually, it just yeah. becomes something that you do all the time, right? Yeah. So, I think for yeah. me, this, so, so I, I kind of moved away slightly from design thinking to something called jobs to be done. Um, so, mm. it's a framework that something that everybody has moved away from. So, a lot of people have realized um, yeah. that there's something called jobs to be done. And jobs yeah. to be done allows you to understand what the customer wants to get done, right? So the framework stops thinking about what the customer needs, mm. and it moves more now to what the customer wants to get done. What, why, what do want, what do they want to do with your products? You know, so what do they need to do? For instance, a, a customer needs to move from point A to point B, right? That's what yeah. a customer needs to get done. That they need to move. So okay, why do they? What do they need to be able to achieve? They, they want to move faster. They want to move. So your thinking now becomes, you know what the customer wants to get done as opposed to how you so you're not thinking products uh so i'm thinking ideation with people i find that you have nine out of ten people always think products when we're having conversations like so when we're talking about yeah. their business and the idea i was thinking what product can i build what can i and i mm. and i know if you've seen books like built to last or good to great by jim collins they always yeah. talk about building ultimate creation build the company not the product stop thinking mm. come products first so the first step is instead of thinking idea i start thinking what kind of company do i want to build right so i when i'm consulting i i, I when, first i want to look at the company that they have if it's a new company i want to understand yes. the company's process so this is not even product specific and sometimes they're wondering why is he concerned about our products you know i mean our service and not the products because you find mm. A lot of the reasons why it will not succeed is tied to the processes and the systems of the company and not the product itself. So if you don't deal with the foundation, which is the company, you will end up having a product that doesn't sell because then the company processes are not right. And I'll explain that a little bit more. If you have yeah. a product that markets might need, but you don't have a marketing system, you don't have a strategy, you don't have a competitive analysis, you don't have a, a overall business strategy on how you win, you would have a product that people would want to use, but you don't have a machine that can make it happen. And so you're better mm. off 
thinking company first. And so some of the questions I ask is who is on the team, right? What equity do they have? And people are wondering, how does that have anything to do with the product? It does because, you know, because you find companies where people say they have, you know, someone on the team, but the person has 5%. Six months down the line, the person is no more with them because he got a job somewhere else and they cannot work with the product anymore. So, mm. because then he didn't get paid, he got paid somewhere else. So even in the building of the product itself, whoever is involved, there's company specific things that needs to be solved, right? And so in thinking idea, I think idea from a place of company, not necessarily the product, right? Now, if you've done that and you figured out the company and you wanna start looking at the idea, I would look at the idea without thinking I have a product, right? I would go to the market. I would sit with the people that I wanna talk to and I would not tell them about the product. The mistake we make is that we go with the product sometimes. Right? We go and say, hey, if I go with this product, will you use it or not? And then we do service. So their, and their feedback know? is biased because you've already yes. kind of told them, yeah. Thank you. And you go with survey, will you buy this or not? No, a good survey is, buy this right now for one dollar it's going to be sold at fifty dollars but for today we are selling it mm -hmm. at one dollar please buy that's a good survey as opposed to would you buy you know no they need to actually take action and to take action you need to do an experiment to allow them to take action so i would sit with the people i would build with them you know i would form the idea with them so not necessarily building the product so i, I would listen to them and listen to them i would and i'll spend a lot of time in the listening stage and not necessarily formation stage so you spend time in the in ideas so just sit with them document back to document document the process and based on that come back brainstorm and take what they are saying summarize it and then you can get an idea from that i would say that my friend is an entire masterclass. um i i think i think we owe it to our listeners to have a a, a follow-up master class where you you walk us through that process because um, it's it's something that funny enough we we did have a session here on campus and um, well um, a good friend of mine now she had she had come and you know basically taught that jobs to be done process and oh, I mean nice. it's it's such a revolutionary way of thinking but again when we go back to why a lot of startups and entrepreneurs aren't getting funding or scaling these these kind of frameworks that they don't have access to right that that way of thinking that takes you out of product focus to actually okay what what needs to get done and i think we've got so many obsolete solutions out there in businesses and you find that people end up just copying each other uh, and so there's this little variance between some of the businesses that you see around and yeah no definitely i think with the work that you're doing at 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 at, at blue is it blue or blob blob blue 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 global um yeah i i think keep it up because these are conversations that i think need to be had and we do appreciate you uh, just giving us a sneak peek into your insight on that and we are coming to the end of the podcast and we have a segment at the end which we thoroughly enjoy. We call it the elevator quick fire session. So picture this, we've just come out of the boardroom, you know, the consultant that you are, you've 
you've dropped your knowledge. We're all mind blown and now rethinking our entire lives and business models. You're walking to the elevator and you find one of our interns, eager, eager intern. You know, they come up and they have one or two questions, but you know, busy man like yourself, you're about to leave. You enter the elevator, ding, you're in. And they've got three quick questions for you. So we're about to put you in the elevator right now. Three quick questions and then we will see you off. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Welcome to the elevator. So the first question is, if you were to, if you were to have a billboard, in the middle of the busiest streets in Nigeria or, or Ghana, um, pick one between your two homes. If you're to have one big billboard and it could say anything on it, what would your billboard say? What would your message be on that billboard? Do you have a philosophy? Hmm. Do you have a philosophy? That's it. That's it. Perfect. That one, I'll let the audience go sit down and unpack by themselves. <laughs> Next question. What is the worst and best advice you've ever been given? So what's the worst piece of advice and what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Listen to your mentor and take action. Listen to your mentor and take action, good and bad. So they're both good and bad advice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Would, then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So listen to your mentor and take their advice. It was a good one uh, and it worked. Yeah. But there was yeah. a time when you listen, but you have to also understand your gut feeling and put things together. Listen and take right. what works and not just take it away. It was a bad advice because I just took it look like a sick guy. I worked with it mm-hmm. and it didn't turn out well. So it was good and bad. Yeah. That's, that's a serious flip of a coin right there. Last question. So what are some of the things that you have learned how to say no to? So top two, three things that you've learned how to say no to or top one thing. Uh, interviews. Uh, so it doesn't matter if it's BBC or whatever. So interviews where um, someone say, I want to interview for one hour. So there's yeah. some interviews I just won't do. Or I'll charge you for for a lot of yeah. people, right? And, I, and it's worked out. So that's something I've learned to say no to. Uh, I think secondly, just a lot of meetings, like so say no to mm-hmm. meetings. Um, and third, saying no to board advisory, join my board, join my board. <clears throat> I would ask you yeah. more questions so that it's not yeah. a board and I can help you somewhere else. So yeah, those just understanding how to use my time. Yeah. Better. Fantastic. And we are super grateful that you decided that we're not one of those interviews you don't want to have. And I do hope that you had a thoroughly not reflective time because we find that, you know, sometimes you speaking out these thoughts and you reflecting on these things um, could also help you in your different um, ways and your different thoughts. So I hope this was as insightful and helpful to you as it was for myself and the team. And no doubt, I'm sure the audience has really enjoyed their time here. So there you have it, guys. Edison Benga Ade. 
he has dropped a lot of knowledge we absolutely appreciate him for his time we know he's busy but definitely i am walking away from this conversation knowing that hey if you've got a business idea it's 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 not enough to just have an idea right you have to understand how can you get access to to the mentorship the funding that you need um, on a global scale so you really challenged me to think okay i'm not just competing in kenya right my home country or um in africa right we're we're global and so that's one thing that i'm taking away but also the fact that you know in that process by documenting your your progress you'll be able to learn from your mistakes better but also appreciate your trajectory of growth also as a founder myself um and i know my team is really going to appreciate this one of the fact that you know our character our characters and strengths are a bit of a cocktail mix so we are responsible for putting together mixing and matching the things that will give us an ad- an advantage out there right and so yeah we will we will definitely have to listen to this podcast many many times over again but again edison thank you so much for your time and thanks for coming to the boardroom have a good day everybody remember ready fire aim get at it whatever it is that you want to get at these conversations are made for you as much as we have enjoyed them i hope that you guys have have a great week ahead everyone and see you on the next episode of boardroom banter cheers everyone <laughs>